Good morning, everybody. Special welcome to you if you're new. Good to see you again if you're not. And uh, let's pray before we go to the Lord and worship. Uh, Father, we come to you grateful. Thank you for thank you for this day. Thank you for the nice weather. More than that, thank you that even though Easter was last week, we celebrate every time we come here. It's a new day that you have made. Rejoice and we should be glad in it. Thank you for the immensity of your grace. Uh, being purchased for us, which is we celebrated last week, and we can celebrate every day, every moment. Um, it's a good way to subdue other things. And so we come here. May you grant us a heart of thankfulness to approach you with, and that's worship. We set our hearts to worship, because you are worthy of this. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us. Oh, 
Have a seat, everybody. It's good to see you all. Oh, you know, last Sunday was almost a perfect Easter, minus one thing, the sun. But the important sun showed up, though, we know, so it's all good, right? But isn't it nice to be able to just bask in something that we've been missing for a long time? And that, by that I mean perhaps maybe it's the glory of God. I don't know. 
But as uh, all these things converge in a way, I think that uh, God is saying um, there's a lot of things about life that are challenging, but there are a lot of things about life that are truly a blessing. Today we're going to be uh, uh, blessing some people in our community with our community banquet. Um, so tell you what, why don't if you guys have these, um, our greeters uh, gave uh, hopefully you a message outline. And how many of you, when you were walking in, saw the geese? Were greeted by the geese. I, I, I was greeted by the geese. Uh, I was the second one here, and he was stationed right exactly between my car and the entryway. And I'm like, I don't know you. I'm nervous. And I've been here more than once, but you kind of scare me. So I just kind of went a, a sort of a, a loop, elliptical loop around to the door. And here's the goose just kind of tracking with me, you know. And I'm like, I hope he doesn't bite me. That'd be a horrible way to start the day or come after me. Did anybody get attacked by the goose? No, no. You know why? Because the geese at First Christian have been transformed into who they were supposed to be to begin with. And now the job is for the rest of us to follow suit. Well, anyhow, enough fun with that. Um, tell you what, you guys, if you have this, hook your peepers on these lines that say announcements. Okay? You doing it? All right. We have, I'm just going to give you one. And it is what's happening today from 4 to 6 for our community. Do we have enough volunteers or do we need help or... Okay, we're good on that, but what do I instruct our people to do? Should they show up? Should they be happy? Uh-huh. Okay, prepping food and stuff like that, 1230. And then the next category was what? Serving food, greeters, 3 o'clock. That doesn't include from the geese. So there you go. It's all good. All right. So you guys have that. And we got a lot of things going on. And I'm pretty excited about just seeing some momentum return and people getting engaged and using their giftings and walking into service for the kingdom. Um, so let's uh, just take a minute and we will uh, see if there's anybody here who has any prayer concerns. I, I want to start off, first of all, by mentioning uh, Grace Zimmerman. Some of you may not be aware that Grace Zimmerman uh, it had a, a massive brain bleed this week. And uh, she's in the hospital and, and they basically said she's not going to make it. Uh, so uh, it's been a shock for Jerry and Amy and their family, and, and for us as well, because Grace is just such a gem. Um, you know, she turned 90 this year. She has all these bucket lists, and um, she checked them all off. Uh, but um, uh, she's not doing well, and they, they would really appreciate your prayers. Um, you know, Grace, I know she's going to go from a deep trust in the abiding presence of God 
to now seeing him face to face. And sometimes, you know, you have that moment where you have to say, it's probably time to go home, and the family's going through that, and it's not easy for them, and not easy for us as a church family. Uh, so please keep uh, Grace lifted up and uh, her family, and just keep, um, continue to keep Peg Panza lifted up as Peg is getting things sorted out with arrhythmia as well as just her cancer, uh, that God's healing would be with you, and, and you, you, you would feel his presence through this. Um, Anything else that anybody has that they want to share? Yeah, Pat. Okay, that's fine. Oh, my. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. So Pat's nephew, Doug, passed away. Um, So pray for his family. Obviously not an easy moment for you guys. Anything else? Any? Oh, yeah. Hi, Diane. Uh-huh. Yeah. What's that now? Oh, she did. Okay. Judy Halberstadt's mother. Okay. Passed away. So please pray for them. Okay. Yeah. I know Judy. She's a gem. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else? I just want to know, is there any updates on Gail Hill? Uh, uh, Gail is, um, I, I think the prognosis isn't good right now, so please just keep her lifted up. We don't know where it's going. She's obviously very anxious and, and the whole constellation of feelings. But thanks for asking, Paula. Okay, so keep Gail, Gail lifted up as well. Um, okay, let's just take uh, what we have in front of us and bring it before the Lord. Would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, we hear that word, behold, and we know that in Scripture it is a reminder of the things that are unusual, extraordinary, that in many ways define our lives here on earth. And Lord, you are that chief definer of everything that we face in life. We know that you have the ability to take tragedy or shame or suffering and you transform it into welcome and hospitality and grace and healing and lord we know that through all the things that jesus accomplished on the cross every facet of our human need has been incorporated into that experience as hard as it is for us to wrap our mind around it we are thankful that what you've accomplished for us is more than sufficient And the empty tomb is a way of saying to everyone, uh, there is life, there is death, and then there is resurrected life forever. And Lord, as we step into that space through promises that are given, and then the day when the reality strikes and we now see you face to face, we thank you, Father, for your sustaining presence in each of our lives. We Our grateful, Father, that as we've uh, lifted grace up to you, we pray that you'd be with Grace Zimmerman, that when it's time to come home, that you would just give her the comforting assurance that you'll bring her across that great divide into your glorious and loving presence. I pray for her family as they are having to let go and say goodbye. I just ask that you help them through this time where she's languishing and, and waiting. Uh, So, Father, just keep them 
uh, surrounded in your presence and your love. And I pray, Father, for those that we have mentioned. We pray for Peg and we pray for Gail, who are both struggling in, in, in the realm of cancer. And I just pray for healing, Lord. You are the great physician, and we trust you, Father, no matter what. And I pray, Father, that you would be with uh, Pat's family as they grieve the loss of, of someone that um, uh, we know has struggled for a long time, and we pray that uh, in your glory there is that hope of not only resurrection, but, but glorified and perfected body. Father, thank you for the, the gifts of your people as they have been at work in the lives of, of, of our church and, and beyond. And so we pray, Father, that as we take all of those giftings that we have been blessed with and we offer them to the community, that you would bless the banquet that we are offering tonight, that it would just be a gesture of your hospitality and your love, that when people see us, they see you through us, Father. So we pray that as a church, you would find us faithful and those things that you call us to do, that you would not help, not, not, we would not be timid, but rather we would be responding in a way that says, we trust you. If you call us, you will provide. And as you provide, you use us to provide for others. So I pray, Father, that as we as a church are seeking to honor your, your kingdom mandate and bring the reality of what's happening in heaven here to earth as it is centered in the lordship of Jesus Christ, we ask, Father, that you help us to continue to be in tune with that reality, with that calling, with that mission that we have to be a church that is a light to the world. And we are people that are, um, are, are broken and we walk with a limp, yet your grace is sufficient in every way. And so use us in our own shortcomings and by your grace to be that blessing for people around us. And Father, as we just tune our hearts and our minds, as our musicians tune their instruments, I pray that you help us to, to, to say the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer together, but in a way that brings to bear the substance of it, the intentionality, and the desire to have everything that Jesus taught the disciples manifest through us as well. So would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. Well, we are uh, going to kind of land the plane on Lent. It may seem like a week late, but in reality, it is, the, it is the final, I think, capstone of everything that we've gone through since uh, March, uh, March 3rd in our uh, Lent time together. <clears throat> and if you've been going through that study with us, you know this past week we've been looking at Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Uh, the Great Commission, and hopefully everything that you've been um, pondering and contemplating in the, the Lent study uh, leads you to this moment, because this is exactly where we need to land as a church, understanding where we've been, 
what it is that we are called to do, and then when we receive the Great Commission, knowing that this is the, this is the body of reasons why this is important. And if you experienced Easter from the standpoint of going through the upper room and experiencing together uh, that abandonment on the cross that Jesus suffered through, you know that that contrast between the darkness of that moment and the light shining through that empty tomb in a way that radiated a glory not from this world. If you know that whole story, it is so much richer. And I hope that our church has been able to know the backstory of why the Great Commission is important, why we have a missions team, why we do things like host a banquet, why it is that we try to proclaim the good news every time we gather. And so if you have your Bibles, please uh, feel free to look at Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 16 through 20. It's sort of the, the ending of that chapter that we went through last week. And uh, next week, we're going to jump back into Luke again. But for now, um, what I want you to do is uh, um, I want you to experience what this looked like from the standpoint of the disciples. And the best way that I can do that is show you a clip from a video by John Beck, uh, who did a series called On the Road. Now, I can't take you guys to the Holy Land. I'd love to. Wouldn't that be awesome if we could just go to the Holy Land and just have all kinds of fun, lose luggage, get stressed out, uh, eat food that we shouldn't, and get sick? Wouldn't that be awesome? And then, uh, but what would be even greater is seeing the spaces that Jesus walked through and preach from. And one of those spaces, very importantly, um, I want to show you a couple of little clips from uh, John Beck's experience with the giving of the, uh, of the Great Commission. So just uh, take a look at the screen. Monarbel is a nature reserve that's designed to help preserve the the ecosystem in this area around the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. This uh, hiking trail we're on doesn't look like much today. In the time of Jesus, it is the international highway, the highway that connected Asia and Africa and Europe through Israel. It descended from lower Galilee through the cut in the terrain here called the Wadi Hammam, all the way down to the Sea of Galilee, onto Damascus and the rest of the Mediterranean. It's a mountain that Jesus and the disciples climbed more than once. Um, it's just here, Mount Arbel. Um, as you probably have guessed by now, it's the setting for two different stories we have from Jesus' life. The first one, Christians call the Sermon on the Mount. It's a extended teaching time with the disciples. The second time Jesus comes up here is in order to give the Great Commission, that uh, directive Jesus gave to the disciples which changed the course of their ministry. And you probably guessed by now too that I think they're related to one another. He, uh, he told the disciples that as they now became teachers, fully authorized to teach everything that he had shared with them. It meant that, that they were sharing the gospel message with people who traveled along uh, the road that I'm camping near. 
and the road on which I met some fellow hikers before. Now, those hikers reminded me of the merchants who were very much a part of the way in which commodities move from one place to the other in the ancient world. Um, they weren't just the distributors of wool and aromatics and spices. They were also distributors of the news of the day. And what they did was uh, came through this area that we're in right here, just below Mount Arbel, and they picked up the news of the day as it was told by the disciples and brought it to Europe so that my forebears might be able to learn that they had a Messiah, that they had a Savior. And I'm thinking about what it meant for the disciples to hear what probably was a news that was a little upsetting to them that, you know, their, their mission actually got larger. But uh, without without them changing the scope of what they were thinking about doing, um, at least at a human level, I might not have found Jesus as my savior. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes really are a survey of the human experience. And as he turns their eyes to the view, he says to them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What a powerful way to begin that discourse just doesn't end with that same rhetorical flourish. And I think it doesn't end with a powerful conclusion because Jesus wasn't done here. I think the last paragraph of the Sermon on the Mount is actually the words of the Great Commission. And that's one of the reasons Jesus brought the disciples here, because this is where this course began, and this is where this course is going to receive its powerful conclusion. And for a teacher like Jesus, who was very particular about putting important teachings in the context of views that supported that teaching, I couldn't expect less from him than to put his final words in a setting as dramatic as this. Here he lifts their eyes from the place where they had been used to working on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee to the horizon. And he says to them, I want you now to go and take what I've taught you to everyone. Therefore, go and teach all nations. This is a place that changes everything for the disciples. And Jesus wanted to make sure he had a fitting place to deliver this powerful conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount that forever changed how they thought about their mission. Well, that's it. We've walked many miles together through this plan, looking at the way Jesus used geographies to tell God's story. And this is it. This is the final view that Jesus used in order to speak the last words to the disciples. He said to them, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. This view hasn't changed since they heard it. And neither has our mission.
That music makes me feel like I'm in the Born Legacy or something like that. But it is kind of adventuresome when you think about all the people that have carried the gospel to all the different places on the planet. And if you look at um, demographers, they will say of the, of the billions, perhaps five and a half, six billion people that are on the planet, at least uh, two and a half billion of them would say, we claim Jesus as our Savior. That's a pretty huge scale of human beings if you think about the starting place being Mount Arbel. And maybe you didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know that for a long time, that uh, a lot of what Jesus said occurred in that space. The very first sermon that he gave, the Sermon on the Mount, that was you know a fully developed sermon, it was spoken on, 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 the, on, on the bottom part of that mountain. And then he concludes at the top. And why is that important? As you heard in the, in the message uh, that you saw through the video, there are all of these roads that are happening from north and south and east and west that are transmitting goods and services and people and ideas. And it was the place where Jesus said, I want the best idea in all the world, the greatest news, to be transmitted along those lines as well. And if you look backwards, you'll see that um, perhaps as Jesus envisioned this, he's going in his own mind all the way back to Abraham, where prior to Abraham, there were the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, 70 nations that built a tower, and they said, we're going to create a human environment without God. And we know the ending of that story. God just said, enough. And he just broke the whole thing up like, like, uh, like the demonopolizers did with Ma Bell. I mean, it just was fragmented into a whole bunch of pieces. And God said, I am terribly upset with the state of affairs of humanity. But at an even deeper level, I want those human beings to know that despite all of that, I still love them, and I want to reclaim them. And so Abraham was called as a new nation out of this, from, different from the 70. Jesus um, <clears throat> refers back to that on the Sermon on the Mount because Abraham was told, I, go, I want you to go to the land I'll show you. I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to bless you so that through you, all the nations will be blessed. And right out of the gate, when you fast forward back to this moment that we're looking at, Jesus said, blessed, blessed. And he basically is recapturing that summons that was initially given to Abraham. And now he's showing exactly what it means to be blessed. And sometimes I wish I could tell people who ask me, why is Jesus so important? I'd like to just play a video of my life and say, here I was, living in a state that was disconnected from God, and it wasn't working. And then here I am through the past 35 or so years, learning to follow and trust. And the outcome of all of that has been a life of blessing in ways that I, I can't even recapture. And there's something about knowing the blessing of God through Jesus that creates a gratitude in your heart. But more than that, it creates a sense of 
man, this is so good. I want to share this with somebody else. You ever go see a movie, and after you get done watching it, you're like, I'd like to tell my friends about that. That was a good experience. And you kind of you kind of good news it up, don't you? Because you want them to have the same joy or the same whatever that thing was that you had. You want to bless them with that. There's something inside of us that says when we hear the good news, we can't help but share it if it really, truly has become good news for us. And I don't know what your story is, but I know... Many of you guys in this room have had that season of brokenness and disconnection from God, and then you've moved to a place where you found healing, you found his faithful and abiding presence, and you discovered that he had put you in a different place in life. And some of you have said, Pastor, how can I serve? And this was happening before I even came. Some of you have said, how can I give? How can I share? Because What's inside of me cannot be contained. There is something about the name and the work of Jesus that changes everything. And on that mountain, those guys experienced the visual effect of looking at all of the places where those 70 nations were and seeing the roads that are going out to them and then knowing that when they were commissioned, their job was to broadcast it through those pathways. And in effect, you know, there are very few places right now on the planet that haven't heard the gospel. There are, there are pockets of tribes and people groups. There's, there are places in Papua New Guinea that no Western or no modern human being has really been. There are places in the rainforest where the gospel hasn't been heard. But there are very few places on the planet where it hasn't been broadcast. And for many who received it, they said, yes, I'm tired of living in the haunted planet without hope, tired of living in my shame or my guilt or my suffering or my hopelessness. I'm tired of not having anything to truly look forward to that says, it's going to be a good day. You ever heard those, you ever seen like in the movies, there's always those funny, they'll do like a Miss America contest, you know, and I think Miss Congeniality was one, a rom-com I watched with my wife. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, and there's, invariably, there's that person that says as a candidate, I want world peace, right? Why, at the end of the day, is the one thing that if we had to summarize it all, why is the answer to that world peace? But not just any kind of peace where it's the absence of conflict, but the biblical peace that is the presence of God. And the Bible calls that shalom. It is a blessed place. It's a space where you reside that says, God is in control. God is my source. God is my provider. He is my security. He is my worth. He is my father. And if you look at the kingdom, all of those things are bundled into that space. But the kingdom is kind of like a little environment that is 
in existence in a larger environment where evil prevails. And the hope is when Jesus came that when we pray on earth as it already is in heaven, make what's happening in heaven come down here, the reign of God, he's saying take that place where people live who have surrendered their life to Jesus and have redefined their lives around him, that place called the kingdom where you know his blessing and you know his joy and you know his peace that passes all understanding. Expand that out into every space imaginable. And if you can do that, then you've basically tuned into what the Great Commission is really all about. When, when Jesus came, we know that he had one big idea, and that is to make sure that everybody heard that he was Savior, he's Lord, and that through him, all of those questions, all of those needs, everything that life doesn't offer, but rather presents as a possibility, but yet always disappoints, let people know that I will never disappoint. If you have your message notes, um, there is kind of a big idea that we wanted to look at today, and, and that is Jesus took 12 people, ordinary cross-section of people, but they definitely had different places in society. And as he was taking who he was as a son of God into their lives, showing them through an apprenticing process for three years, he's developing them to be able to do the things that he's doing. And the only way you can do it is to experience it. You can't just do it like in the abstract and say, well, I took some classes, I learned about Jesus, and uh, that's all I need to know. I can assure you the only way you can really know him is at the ground level. You know him whenever you are hurting and you pray to him and he helps you. You know him whenever you are in total conflict in your head and you pray to him and he gives you a peace that passes all understanding. You know him whenever you are burdened with the luggage of guilt and you're saying to yourself, this, this is getting in the way, and he takes it. You know him. And it's not an abstraction, but it has to be experienced. You know, fun, speaking of movies, there's a funny movie that came out a few years ago, and I don't know if you ever heard of the comedian Michael Jr. or not, but um, he's pretty hilarious. And he was being interviewed about the movie, and they, they said, because it's centered around his character, he, they, he, they asked him, they said, you know, because it's a family and stuff, is there kissing involved in it? And he said, no, he said, I, I, I don't because I, you know, I, I'm, I'm married and I, I don't do that. And so the whole, whole mo movie plays out and he doesn't kiss anybody. And then he's talking to other actors and they're like, well, why, how come you didn't kiss anybody? And he's like, well, because I don't feel right about that. It just seems odd. And they're like, well, it's just acting. There's no, there's no feeling. There's no experience. It's just, you're just doing your job. And I loved his response because he said, okay, the next time you, you do a production and your, your, your opposing uh, role is your sister and you have to kiss her, how's that going to work out? And they're like, oh, that's not what I'm talking about. But there's something about saying we're going to keep it in the abstract that just doesn't work. It has to be, if you're, if you're going to do something, there's always going to be an experiential component to it. 
And when Jesus takes these 12 and he leads them through a broad range of experiences, he doesn't pull any punches. I mean, when he gets into conflict, they're right there with him. And I'm sure they're like, oh, I can't believe we're in trouble now with the law or we're in trouble with the religious authorities. But Jesus doesn't care. And then there's the opportunities that they see time and time again where he's showing compassion and he's offering healing. Then there's those moments where he's open to accepting people that are not Jewish people, and that upsets them. And he even calls them out on it. But the only way that they can get it is to do it. And really, the only way you can get Jesus, the only way your faith can really be robust like he intends, is to do something that he calls you to do for the kingdom. And it may be something at church, or it may be just saying, Lord, today when I get up and I go into the workplace, help me to see the people around me as you see them. And then if you prompt me or nudge me or impress something on me, it probably isn't going to be my normal comfort zone. Help me to say whatever it is you want me to say. And if you try to pray that bold prayer, God will, he will be right there to answer it. There are so many different ways that you and I are called, but every one of them has this, this one thing in common. You can't know him unless you engage with the work that he calls you to do. You can kind of know him, but you don't really get to know heart and soul at the deeper level. And if there was ever a time when we had a laboratory that says, we don't want you, Jesus. We want the chaos of our human choices. We want the shortcomings of our supply chains. We want the, 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 the brokenness of the medical field. We want the dark side of technology to rule. And there's something inside of us that says we're serving all of those things rather than all those things being ordered for a purpose in Christ. There's got to be a better way. And if a person is saying to themselves, there has to be a better way, that is a God moment where you kind of have to step up. And even though you're like, well, I don't know the Bible well. I can't talk like the pastor or like Rachel. You got that. That's good. That's not the point. That is not the point. One of the most powerful things that's happened in this room this year was a non-public speaker getting up here for 10 minutes and talking about how God has moved in his life through his heart attack experience. I mean, the Rob Coffey sermon, that's, that should be in the historical room just sort of locked away saying, that was a moment too. And I remember him just sort of fretting over it for weeks. Like, I, I, I got to do it, but I don't want to do it. I got to do it, but I don't want to do it. I said, ask the Lord, and he'll give you what you need to say. And the little secret is about what we do up here now is if you keep it real, 
because everybody out there has had so much, I'll, I'll tone it down, BC. They are tired of the lies. And if they see a heart that says, I may be stumbling over my words, but this is what's going on. We're all ears. There is something about coming from a sincere place where Jesus has been at work in your life and you felt it and you've seen it that speaks louder than any eloquent sermon you've ever heard. And I think when Jesus called these guys, he knew that some of them were going to be exactly that. They would never be articulate and able to say words in a way that uh, was just entertaining and compelling and hit all the marks. But he did know this. They spent enough time with them that they got it. So Jesus developed them. And he said, now your job is to go and develop more followers. Yes, I'm talking to every one of you who opted to come to church today, who are saying right now, I wish I didn't come to church today. I can remember getting my first Bible and reading it and reading that passage and saying, no, I can't do that. What passage are we talking about? It's in the ending of Matthew. And here's what, here's what we read. Jesus says to the 11 that are left, we know Judas checked out. He said, go from here in Jerusalem to Galilee to that mountain where it all happened so that you can remember through the prompting of how that environment just helps you to recapture all of that stuff again. Go to that mountain to which I'm directing you, you know, Mount Arbel. And when they saw him show up on that mountain, they remembered the Sermon on the Mount. They remembered the crowds. They looked out along the rim of the Sea of Galilee that you could see from the mountain. And every place along that seashore, Jesus performed some kind of ministry. And they remembered it. And so as he's telling them the most important thing that they will ever hear that is, all that we've done, all that I've done, is now bundled into this moment, and now you have to carry this to the places that are unaware that this happened. And so when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you spent three years with Jesus, and you heard these teachings, which are phenomenal, and then you had... The whole drama that occurred in Jerusalem from the triumphal entry all the way down to the arrest and the betrayal of Judas and then the checking out of all the disciples and then Jesus saying, guess what? I didn't go anywhere. I did, but I didn't. And what you see now is the result of the work that had to be done to fulfill my calling here on earth. And all that experience and ideas, and effect resulted in them just getting prostate and worshiping him because they felt the weight of the moment. But then some doubted. How in the world could you doubt? But this side of coming to know Jesus, I want to ask those of you who've met him, 
Have you ever had doubts? Did you have any doubts last week? I would say that if you believe in Jesus and there's no element of doubt, you only got it about half right. Because in your doubt that God says, I want to show you something. I want to show you in this struggle where all the forces are saying it can't be possible. I want you to walk into that doubt. But I also want you to walk through it coming away with faith. And so doubt actually is important. Some of my biggest discoveries in trying to figure out who Jesus is were in seasons of doubt. And I have to tell you, I have things in my head right now that don't make any sense, that have to do with people and circumstances, and they create doubt. Because I'm like, God, where are you? Where are you? And I would say that of the glory that is emerging in this story, it's pretty awesome and pretty epic to bring him back to Galilee, stand up on that mountain, look out and say, hey, isn't it kind of fun? Just think about, remember that time down there? Remember what happened over here? Remember laughing over there? And they're like, yeah, we do. It's awesome. It's great. This is epic. We can't wait to see what, what's next. So why does Matthew say, but some doubted? Because doubt, my friends, is part of the territory. It is essential because it helps you to clarify what it is that's important and what's not. What it is that maybe you see clearly, but you don't see clearly. And some of us, it's kind of like, you, you remember the guy in the gospel story who said, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Wait a minute. You believe, but help you in your unbelief. And I'll tell you what that's all about. That's a person saying, I get the picture that you're painting here, Jesus, about the kingdom, about you, about the resurrection, about the cross, about forgiveness. But it doesn't fit my world. Does not fit my world. No one in the world's talking about it. A lot of people have pretty seemingly contented lives doing what they're doing. And it causes me to doubt. And you know what that unbelief is? It's unlearning. Help me to unlearn all this stuff that I've been taught to believe about the world that is getting in the way of me filtering in a clear way what you are saying. My friends, it isn't just about coming to Jesus. It is also about unlearning a whole bunch of stuff that will probably take you a lifetime that you were taught by the world, which Jesus said is, it's, um, it's, it's run by the prince of this world who is the king of liars. You're taught stuff that seems to make sense, but it doesn't quite make sense. You got to unlearn it. You got to unlearn it. And so Jesus is helping them. He's saying, I get it. I get it. You have to unlearn a lot yet. And that process will not end for any of us in this room until we see him face to face. But until then, Paul says, even Grace Zimmerman, God lover, 
she sees through a glass dimly, but in just a few moments, she will see him face to face, and she will know him as he has known her her whole life. Isn't that awesome? By the way, uh, Grace, uh, was she did her Lent devotional, and she told Amy uh, the night she went into the hospital, before it happened, hey, I'm done with my Lent devotional. And Amy's like, but it's not, it's not the final day. And Grace said, well, I needed, to get it, I needed to get it done so that I could know how to have the conversation whenever we meet to discuss it. Well, she got it done. And then the Lord says, time to come home, which is a little foreboding. But I would say that in her case, that was pretty cool. She had a great resurrection Sunday. She did her homework. And soon she's going to be with the Lord. I love it. Let's, let's go on. I'm really going slow. So here we are. They're in Jerusalem. She, Jesus told uh, Mary Magdalene, tell those guys who are hiding and cowering, go to Mount Herbal, go to Galilee, going to meet them there. We got, we got work to do. So they rush up there about 100 miles, and <laughs> this is what they see. The Sea of Galilee, all the places along there, and we're not talking about, you know, Hilton Head. We're just talking about fishing villages and all the memories that are there. But from that mountain, also recognizing the roads that are happening, it's just a key moment to experience through geography, through experience to gather shared history, what the outlook ahead needs to look like. So Jesus is up there with them, and he's saying, we got work to do. So he goes on to share, just in a few short verses, Jesus said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now I want to back up just a second, Luke 4, Matthew 4, either one, by what Luke said. Remember at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's just starting out, and he's baptized, and the devil grabs him in the desert, and he says, hey, up on this mountain, you can see all the kingdoms of the world. And somehow, in some supernatural way, in a moment of time, and then he said to him, to you, to you, I'll give it all to you. I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me. If you've gone through the Lent experience, you know that the two in the garden consented to handing it over when they said, we're going to follow you and not God. And he just stole their birthright, stole our birthright, stole the planet, and then haunted it. And he said, now I'm in charge, and it's been given to me, and I'll give you, you can be my first lieutenant. It's been delivered to me, and I can give it to whoever I want to. And as we read those verses in Luke, this is what Jesus says. If you then, well, this is what the devil says, if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So authority leads to worship, leads to owning a place that, well, have you ever taken a vacation and you looked at all the pictures on screen and you're like, Wow, this is going to be an awesome condo or house or place. And then you get there, 
Jesus place. We had that experience at a campground north of Columbus called White Sands. And it showed all these beautiful pictures of all these awesome things that happened 30 years ago. We roll in, and I kid you not, it's sort of tucked out of the way, and you can just feel the hair on the back of your neck stand up. I mean, the creep factor was on overdrive. I told my wife, I said, we are not staying here. (laughs) This will not be restful, first of all. This is not what we saw in the picture. This is hell. And we went to tell, hey, we're, we're not going to stay here. And you know what they said? We got your money. See ya. That's the kind of world that the liar says, hey, come here. And that's the kind of world that Jesus says, one of these days, one of these days, that world will be deleted. But for right now, we're in the kingdom, but there's a world, and it's still ruled by him until everybody agrees on this planet that they're no longer going to consent to that person, not even realizing that they're doing. The only way you can get, get around that is to consent to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's how you recapture it. Jesus knows it. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But not everybody knows it. Not everybody realizes that they've been incarcerated and, well, they unlocked the door a long time ago. All you got to do is go push it open. They don't know that. And he's saying, I'm leaving it up to you, the 11 people and the other people that you got with you, tell other people. So here's, here's the authority question being resolved. But Jesus goes on to say, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, the 70. Tell those guys God still loves them, even though they created a tower, even though they created a form of worship, even though they were throwing their kids into the fire to worship their own gods, even though they were doing everything to defy me. Tell those people, I love them, and I want them back, and they're believing a lie. And I want you to make disciples of every nation that they're connected to, baptizing them. Importantly, although if you saw that video a while back about the guy that had to go back and rebaptize everybody in the Catholic Church because he didn't get the formula quite right, so we got to do that. No. If you're baptizing in the name of Jesus, I think God will say, yeah, you're covered. <laughs> I really do. But let's not go there. Let's just say that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all in agreement that we want you to be a part of our family. And so when you're baptized, if you haven't been baptized, it's an important moment. It doesn't save you. Only Jesus can. But what it does is it helps you to understand that your life has now been redefined around the, li- around the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You identify with him when you go into those waters. You die with all the stuff that you 
we're a part of. And then when you come out, you're given a fresh chance. You're not going to come out perfect because, well, the unlearning thing. Remember that unlearning thing? Well, it's going to trip you up. But there's one word answer to that. Grace and forgiveness. Two words. And then he says this, and they're taking it in, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, not just in an academic, hey, we're going to do this online, we're going to just show you some of the bullet points here, and you're going to get it, and then there's a test, and you're going to pass, and it's all going to be certified and good. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, it's a learn-as-you-go thing. You got to apply it to everyday life, pretty much to everything in some way. There's a Jesus question. And then I will be with you always to the end of the age. You know, Paul writes about this a little bit later on where he said, when we did a message series on Philippians, he said kind of the same thing after the, after the fact. He said, uh, you know, what, have you, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice those things. And the peace of God will be with you. Kind of just applying what these guys have received in this space. It's just the way it is. It doesn't change. Whatever you're going through that you're like, I don't want to burden God with that. He's too busy. That's a lie. Just a lie. Let's call it out. It's a lie. Or you say, um, I don't want to ask God for help because I need to learn to be self God helps those who help themselves. Uh, that's not in Scripture, actually. Did you know that? There is no verse that says, God helps those who help themselves. There's the idea that, yeah, if you walk towards God, God will walk towards you. There, there has to be an element of cooperation, but it's not sort of like, I'm helping myself, so guaranteed God's going to help me in that worldly sense. Well, not to muddy the water too much. I just want to sh- say, as you and I are trying to live out our lives, the more we bring God into our experiences, the more credibility that we have as believers, Because if I were to come to church, and I had a problem with alcohol, and I'm trying to get past it, and I meet a believer who says, I used to be ashamed and embarrassed to mention it, but I'll let you know, God helped me with that. It was my God, and that God wasn't working too well. And it could be God helped me with my back injury. God help me with whatever it is that you struggle with or have gone through. God says, we're going to use that. And so as Jesus is talking to these guys, they're going to have a variety of experiences. Some of them will be painful, but that will give them a weight of credibility when somebody says, well, you really don't know what you're talking about. And you can say, Perhaps, but I do know that Jesus got me through this, and it sounds a lot like what you're going through. And there's something about that that's so comforting. I remember when you shared some stuff up here, Rachel, about uh, bulimia and stuff like that and how that resonated. You're the first person I've ever heard mention that since I've been here. Do you, does your pride say you shouldn't say that? Undoubtedly. But does the heart of Jesus that's pulsing inside of you say, there are women out there that are suffering in silence. They need to know 
they're not alone because the devil likes to isolate and captivate. Well, let's just go through our, our, our message points real quick. And that is, these are kind of the summaries of the whole thing. Being a disciple of Jesus is a call to help other people understand. Understand the way of Jesus, what Jesus is trying to do in redeeming the world and making it right. He's trying to show that everyone is worthy of the gospel. You know, we live in a culture that says, you're worthy if, you're worthy but. A culture that says, if you're not with us, then you're worthless. And Jesus said, I've come to tell you, everybody, everybody is invited to my table. And then Jesus shows us, I walked it out faithfully. You saw me, you can too. Here's the next thing. Where do we find the power to do this? And that was my question for a long time. Well, if Jesus is, has authority and he's seated on the throne and he says, I can't do anything till I go and sit on that throne. And that throne says, now I can see like God sees. Now I can be present like God's present through the Spirit. We didn't explore that in our Lent devotional, but there's something about sitting on that throne that establishes his kingdom authority. It gives him that awareness because he, he, he limited that awareness as, as a human being. It gave him that awareness that what you're going through, what you're going through, what you're going through, what you're going through, I'm here to help. All at the same time. And so if Jesus has that ability sitting on the throne, which is key to the scriptures that preach sermons right out of the gate, then he will give you what you need because he is aware and he is able. And so we're empowered and encouraged by the abiding presence of our king, Jesus. Isn't it good to know that when Jesus looks at us, he says, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. And that's what he promised. He promised. Now, it may not end the way we hoped, but it will end even better when it ends ultimately. Well, there's more, and it's this. We find the power through his authority, and then when he sends us, he says, I want you to do a couple of things. I want you to recover people that are lost by transferring them into the kingdom through the proclamation and the receiving and acceptance of the good news. And when you baptize people, declare to them they are no longer a part of this world, but they are now a part of my kingdom and my family. And they now live under my authority. Authority that says even the demons shudder. At the name of Jesus. And then what is the goal of our commission? I think it's to restore every defaced, dehumanized person on the planet. It's to restore humanity. 
back to what it was supposed to be to begin with, only now it's going to be even better because it's resurrected humanity. And it's a new way of life under King Jesus. And I'll comment briefly. That way of life that we've been exploring in the Gospel of Luke is the way of life that Jesus says, it doesn't make sense. And you're going to have a lot of doubt. And you got a lot of unlearning. But it is the way. And the more you walk into it, the more that other stuff just doesn't, it just rings hollow. And so here's the bottom line, and we're done. In order to be faithful as a church, I believe, I know the elders believe, and I hope that we have in our unbelief increasing trust in it, that as we prioritize the Great Commission, we are called to make disciples, send missionaries, and continue to pray for heaven, what is happening up there, to happen down here. So that when Jesus is at the center of it, those two things come together. Have you ever sang the hymn, This is My Father's World? Do you know how it ends? And heaven and earth be one. The message hasn't changed. But we forget that it's a priority. And that's all I'm saying. Is that we are living in a moment, guys, where out there is falling apart and our priority has to be reconsidered along the lines of the Great Commission. Would you bow with me? Lord, as we've concluded our Lent season, our readings, and everything that is summarized in this very powerful commission, we know the substance of it is raiding out through history and place and time and into, into, into this very building. And you will either find us faithful with that or we'll be like so many places that just are closing down because they've lost their reason. Lord, we do not want to be those people. But rather, we want to be a people that says we are carrying to the pathways of the unknown world that is unfolding in front of us where the landscape is shifting and the rules are changing. We are carrying into those spaces, Lord, your good news. Also, Lord, we are carrying it into our hearts and our minds, into our very being in ways that it hasn't before. Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief so that we can be who you need us to be for people that your heart is breaking over. In Jesus' name, amen. Probably one of the biggest reasons I love the mountains is if you ever get to the top of a peak, it's pretty quiet up there. You don't have a ton of people up there yelling and screaming. It's quiet. And one of the reasons I think it's quiet is because it makes you small.
when you're on the top of a mountain looking out over everywhere, that makes you smaller. And I think that could have been a great deal of symbolism when Jesus took the disciples up there, that they knew that they weren't the most important, made them small again. And I think that's something that we have to consider in our own lives. You know, it's not all about us. It's about others. It's about serving Jesus. It's about Jesus' death on the cross. And as we are here week after Easter, this we celebrate on a weekly basis communion, the cup and the loaf, and as, a, as a reminder of his sacrifice for us. So at this time, I ask, let's ask his blessings upon uh, this communion. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the message that you've given us today. We thank you for uh, your son, Jesus Christ. We ask your blessings upon this cup and this loaf as we partake in your son's name. ready for today? We talked about the Great Commission today, right? We are the Great Commission, right? We're going to go out in our community today. We're going to have them coming in here. We're going to talk to them. We're going to have a relationship with them, and we're going to step out of our comfort zone. So if you've decided to prep food like we talked about earlier, be here about 1230 with, with Josh and I down in the kitchen. If you decided to do greeting at the door, helping with the to-go's, and serving food, be here about 3 o'clock. Will be join our main um, uh, uh, Bible study, Lord. Our main prayer at about 3.30, Cora Till. So try to be there at least by then so we can do our prayer before we open the doors. Does anybody have any questions about the banquet today? We're good to go. Okay. A couple other things that we have for announcements that I wanted to kind of go over just to make sure we were all on the same page is we do have a devotional yoga that's starting back up with Kendall. I have been at this yoga. It's really good. But Kendall said I was way too limber. So she said I probably couldn't come. But it's a really good program. I can come. We can direct them in. It's awesome. It's a great time with you and the Lord. It's really, you know, calm, cool, collected, which I'm not. National Prayer Day, if you look on here, the 16th, hopefully we can get everybody out. I know this Tuesday also is um, the, what is it, what house is it that we're going to? Sophia's house. Over there at Damascus Church, we do put money into that, so hopefully we can get some ladies and gentlemen to go to that. Our men's breakfast is May 7th at 8.30. Property meeting. Oh, this is a big one. May 9th. 
we are going to be doing, is that we're cleaning up the church. We need help doing that. A couple years ago, we had like nine people. And then we had like eight people. Then we had like 12 people. So we're building up. But everybody uses the church. Everybody's here on the grounds. Everybody enjoys coming in. Let's everybody get out there. And we got to clean the grounds. We got to clean downstairs in the kitchen. We got stuff that we have to do to keep our building up. And the events committee is going to be providing lunch. So you get a free lunch and bring your gloves and whatever you want to do and help us out. Church work day, not today, May 14th, sorry. May 14th is a church day. We're going to be doing that outside. Women's tea, again, is Sunday, May 15th. I'll have sign-ups in the the studio. So if you guys want to come over, give us a little bit of an estimate on what we need for food. So that is a ladies' tea right after church on the 14th. Thank you. I'll see you guys today. All right, if you'd like to stand with us. Uh, As we stand and go into this uh, next song, as Leonard said in the sermon before, the um, God helps those who help themselves, and how that's that's not in the Bible. That's if you want a biblical version of that, the gospel is that God helps those who cannot help themselves. So with with that on our minds, we'll sing these words. Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat, Jesus. 
Lord Jesus, this is you and completely you. All of it is your work. May it be a gift that we receive, gladly letting go of whatever we're holding on to, to receive this gift with both hands. Thank you for your marvelous and wonderful and sufficient and glorious grace. Please accept this thanks from us and create in our hearts more thankfulness, more worship. And may we serve those whom you would bring to us later and may we go to them as well. May you create relationships. May the gospel go forth in power and truth and spirit. May you have an, a, a splash today that makes a, a ripple that goes on for a long time and changes us too as we are still changing. And it's for your wonderful name we ask these things and give you all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 